0: It's Tony Chapman, and welcome to Chatter That Matters. In this age of noise, I cut through the chaos and the confusion to focus on what matters most to your life, your career, your community, and our planet. At the beginning of every podcast, I ask an essential question. And then together, we go on a quest to mind for insights and identify the big ideas that will help you get to where you need to go. If you could ask a legendary marketer one question, what would it be? Well, today's podcast, I actually get to ask two legendary marketers. They're an alumni called the Canadian Marketing Hall of Legends. It's a platform that's American Marketing Association of Toronto puts on. It's 83 people in the hall. I'm one of them. I went in in 2008. And it's about people that put a dent. They want to stood above and helped, whether they're stewarding brands or helping brand marketers, find a way to engage the head, heart and hands of the the consumer, to innovate, to find and discover unmet needs. Joining me today is David Kincaid and Ken Wong. And Just to set up David Kincaid, is, he's, a, he's a maverick. I met David many years ago when he was quarterbacking the Labatt Blue brand. And he continued to rise in his career just like a rocket ship. And he was known as this tough marketer. He liked to win. He liked to find the uh, unmet needs I was talking about. He liked to look at what his competitors were doing, find the little edges to get around. He, he, he built those brands. So they were, when you had them in your hand, you felt they were a statement. Then he, then he shifted and I couldn't understand the shift. He went to Chorus. I mean, he was going to a television station. Well, next thing you know, classic David Kincaid, his recipe book, he's innovating, he's integrating. They're starting to create their own content. They're doing licensing deals. David, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thank you, Tony. And the other person we have is Ken Wong. Ooh. And if, uh, Ken Wong is a, uh, is a, uh, I don't, he's a, The word professor, you immediately think of a, someone with the leather and the elbows and a pipe. Let I'll tell you about Ken Wong is that when I go to Queens and I speak and I go, and I always mention, because you want to, you know, do you know Ken Wong? Oh, my, I had him last year. He's fantastic. Oh, I got, finally got into his class next year. Here's somebody who didn't just teach, he just didn't dial it in. He inspired a whole generation of marketers to come up and and understand the magic of practicing that craft. Besides teaching and being a professor, obviously he's a published author, consultant, keynote speaker. Ken, welcome to the uh, podcast.
1: Thank you, Johnny. Glad to be here.
0: So today we've got a chance to talk to you two as these legendary marketers. And in context, I want to ask some questions almost from the the conscious of today's business that, that suddenly this switch went off. It was called this, this coronavirus and unprecedented, unplanned for, uh, not sure which way to pivot. And I want to get your advice in terms of what you would do if you were running a business nowadays. And David, I know, in fact, you are running an agency as we speak. The first question I have is I'm going to send it to Dave. I read an article in the Globe and Mail about, you talking about culture and you said how important it is not only to build a culture, but when you're hiring to find the right fit, you talked about attributes and personality. And I guess my question is, does that still apply today? Because I'm not building cultures. In many cases I'm dismantling.
2: Well, it's a great, it's a great question, Tony. And it's in fact, my opinion would be actually right now, as things are being dismantled and they will be rebuilt again. Um, Culture has never been even more important than it is today. And uh, I think a lot of organizations uh, have got this wonderful opportunity as a result of the kind of holding pattern we all seem to find ourselves in um, to step back and possibly reassess what those cultural norms have been that have made us successful and what needs to change, what needs to evolve going forward so that we come out of this thing hitting the ground running and uh, making sure our culture Uh, acts as an enabler to creating competitive advantage.
0: So when you look at your culture and you're stepping back, um, a lot of culture is obviously built on trust. And in this kind of marketplace, the trust is challenged. People are starting to go, you know, is this a company that will take care of me? Is this a leader that can navigate through these troubled waters? What advice would you give to leaders to say, take that step back? What should they be doing? And how do they make sure that the, the people that are staying with them continue to believe in the fact that this 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 will be as you say we'll get through it
2: well i I made a comment to uh to another journalist just the other day that um i think often what's happened is that the whole notion of establishing a, a branded business's vision and its mission and its direction going forward um those are often given paid lip service um you know, they end up being small little exercises that, uh, you know, every three years, five years, the executives sit around a table and hash a vision statement out or uh, the values of the organization. And it's like, check the box, uh, got it done, put it on the plaque, put it in the lobby. There it is. There's our vision. Um, leaders are what going are what's going to help reestablish growth in this economy and it's the leaders who've got the this opportunity to step back and truly truly ask themselves these fundamental questions about what's our purpose like why are we here and what value are we creating and for who um and then how do we make sure that the vision of the organization and specifically its values that really govern the behavior of how we act, not just internally as we go to hire new people, as you were saying, but also how do we act in this community that all of us now have been thrust into and all of us play a role. Um, so taking, taking that exercise and really investing the necessary time to ask those fundamental questions so that uh, you've got it pretty well fine-tuned and it's not just a lip service exercise.
0: That's great. So, Ken, I want to I want to go to you now. You, I, I was looking at some of the stuff that you've written and people have uh, interviewed you for, and you talked about in one called "Renegade CMO," picking your lane. And we're going to go back in time because this was Hudson Bay and Zellers at the time, and you made some points saying, you know, Zellers used to be known and owned uh, lowest priced. Uh, the Bay used to own sort of the toys at, at Christmas, and they've lost both of those. Is it possible to still own a lane in this marketplace? And if so, what advice would you give people so that they're as they're starting to retrench, they don't lose the core that they're going to be able to grow the next business from?
1: Uh, I, I would say, Tony, it, it's not only possible, it's absolutely essential. Um, if you think about the end market conditions, I mean, like David, I believe this will one day end and it will rebuild, and we really don't know what's going to happen until we do. But once we do, we do know what those conditions will be we know that people are going to be under considerable financial pressure. Uh, Whether they receive government subsidies or not, they're not making what they used to make. They have additional expenses. Uh, Maybe they bought some product that they were hoarding or or trying to get from hoarders and paying a premium price for. And so they're going to be looking for bargains. Uh, and, And certainly if we look at the recovery from recessions, The most common actions that we see people taking as they come out of a recession is to have a massive sale because they're trying to get customers in the door and they're trying to get them in as quickly as possible, and nothing works better than price. Unfortunately, if you're a small to medium-sized player, that's not in your wheelhouse. Price is the domain of the big box, the larger establishments, and uh, those larger establishments will also get priority in getting back orders filled. Uh, we've already seen it from Loblaws and Walmart, uh, the letters to their uh, to their suppliers saying, don't forget about us uh, when the end of the day is done. Uh, we want your product. And remember, we represent a big chunk of your business. So if you're a small, medium-sized business, you're not going to be able to match their prices. You're going to have to compete on some other basis. And that some other basis is whatever is in your lane. Um, this is really a time when we're going to discover which which retailers and which firms have true relationships with their customers and which ones are just processing transactions.
0: So let me open it up to both of you because you're talking about uh, almost an internal force where you have to, it's essential that you take these steps to identify what is your unique, uh, why you matter, what is your purpose as a leader, what are your norms. If I was to bring you into an organization that's just, you know, feels like they're a silver ball being bounced between bumpers, and to bring you in and have you talk about um, talk about this, let's start with you, Ken. What would you say to uh, the CEOs? The first like things that we got to be thinking about.
1: Okay, so number one, uh, put your profit motivation on the back burner for a short term. Uh, you're not going to make a lot of money in this market, um, and one could even argue you shouldn't be making a lot of money in, in this market. Uh, You know, unless you're price gouging or something of that effect. Uh, This is a time for you not to worry about costs. This is the time for you to worry about maintaining your status in the eyes of your customers. The second thing I'd say is the time to act is right now, immediately right now. A lot of times, uh, companies won't embark upon major branding because they have, quote unquote, so many other things to do. Well, guess what? In this environment, for the next two three weeks, you've got nothing to do. Nothing but to sit and think and plan. And the really smart firms are going to take advantage of this time. They know their competition's not making any inroads. Nobody's making any inroads. This is the time to do your thinking and your planning so that you're ready to go on day one. Once the, the uh, curfews are lifted and business is back to normal, you're ready to go full steam ahead.
0: So, Ken, you're talking about the, uh, the, the, the first steps you take. And David, I've got the same question going to come to you. Let's say that you were, they managed to get hold of some of your bandwidth. Obviously, it's got to be remote right now. And they say, I don't even know which way to start or begin. I've got, I've got all this time on my hands, but I can't even think about narrowing my focus. What advice would you give people to narrow their focus so that they're, they're paying attention to the things that's going to matter most for preservation today and obviously accelerating when they come out of this?
2: Well, I, I'd say to narrow your focus means first widening a key, a couple of key strategic questions that these leaders, because I totally agree with again, we've got time on our hands. Now's the time to engage your leadership team in this wider focus. And one of the first questions that we always ask at level five, we ask our clients is, What business are you in? And The question isn't, what do you make or sell? It's what business are you in? What value do you create? And I think to be able to step back and have a leadership team engage in that discussion, that debate, they may find themselves coming to a very different set of answers. There are organizations like I've been, I don't know about Ken, but I've been quite impressed with how Galen Weston and the Loblaws organization has actually managed through this uh, this crisis that we're all in, because in his very first, he leveraged the largest database that that any Canadian marketer owns to communicate, to reach out and tell their customers, hey, we're we, we're here for you. We're, we're with you. And the very first communication that he uh, that he sent out, the opening line was. We and our behavior will link back to why we're here. We're in the business of helping Canadians live better lives, not sell more detergent or more bread, live better lives. And um, in this case, uh, you've seen them take on a whole series of initiatives um, that are guided by that larger strategic calling um, whether it's you know improving the wages of the part-time staff, whether it's improving their click and collect programs with with direct store delivery, um, opening for seniors, it isn't just about selling more items. It's actually helping people live better lives at times of crisis. And I, I really think that's the big opportunity is for leaders to sit down and ask themselves those kind of fundamental
0: questions. So Ken, I'm going to go back to you because you made a great point that, you know, price is a, is a, is a big tiebreaker in people's minds. David just talked about elevating it to why you matter. What value do you bring? How does a smaller, medium-sized business owner have the, come to terms with that when they're, they're, you know, their entire minds being overtaken by Tim Burton in terms of all the things that are going wrong? How do you get them to sort of just shift in almost this meditation state where they can start really rethinking their business of doing business?
1: I think you really want to go back to fundamentals and words and semantics actually matter a great deal here. Um, You know, uh, David says, what business are you in? I might phrase it as what problem does the consumer have when they seek you out? Uh, Harvard Business Review, uh, uh, they they use the expression, what job was your product hired to perform? And I think if you think about it in those terms, you can elevate what you're in the business of doing to a much higher level. And once you do that, you start seeing all kinds of opportunities for new products, new services, uh, other innovations that not only disrupt, but really serve to uh, strengthen that, that bond you have with your existing customers.
0: Now, do you do that? I'll open it up to both of you. Do you do that in isolation or is this an opportunity to invite your key suppliers and key customers into that conversation?
2: Well, you you asked the question about how does the small... The medium-sized business owner do that in fact i think they might have an advantage because they can involve that important group of stakeholders whether it's the leadership of their organization employees um uh, you know the customers uh people within their supply chain who are critical to them delivering this value the smaller the organization the more you can reach out to others. Um, and I think that again, during the time when we're all sitting here meeting virtually on zoom, um, now's the time to be able to do that. And I think uh, they've got the advantage in being able to do it.
0: So Ken, where yeah. would you, where, sorry, sorry, Ken, where would you, where would you get structure that? So if I'm a small business or medium sized business owner, my customer said, yeah, for sure. I've got time on my hands. Let's get together and have this conversation. How would you structure that conversation so that people walk away going, number one, we had the desired outcome, we got the engagement, and two, my customers maybe even feel closer to me than they did before.
1: Well, first of all, you know, small, medium-sized business people tend to be highly suspicious of each other. They're highly competitive. You know, When we do exec ed programs, uh, oftentimes people will come up at breaks and ask questions because they didn't want to let others in the room know that they had that, that concern. Um, so this is a real problem. But at the same time, if you think about the economics of any campaign uh, directed at the consumer, it's much easier to do it in big scale than it is to do it in small scale. You can have better production, more credible messaging, uh, greater participation. And so I wouldn't embark to do it, upon my, uh, do it myself. What I would do is I would seek out my Chamber of Commerce, uh, Downtown Business Persons Association, uh, other trade groups to try and develop a consortium so that we can put together this campaign. This isn't just about convincing people to come back to my store. This is about convincing people to come back to stores altogether. Because, you know, one of my great, great fears here is that the longer this persists, the more common it will be to do your business, to do your shopping via e-commerce. And if we get carried away to a point where that represents 70, 80% of our commerce, we're going to lose downtowns. And when we lose downtowns, we're losing quality of life and all the other things that go with uh, our choice of where to live.
2: And I think you'd, you'd probably agree, Ken, that you're also changing the dynamic of the relationship with the customer. If it's an e-commerce, it is a little more transactional than if Ken walks into my store every Wednesday and we you know, talk about how the, the family's doing as well as buying the loaf of bread.
1: That's right. You know, the greatest words I think a merchant can hear or any, uh, any, anyone in business can hear is the consumer talking about their company and saying, they're so clever at dot, dot, dot. And, and when they say they're so clever at dot, 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 what it means is they've actually thought ahead. They've looked at the consumer and they've said, if this is what they're doing now, this is what they're going to need tomorrow. So we're going to have it in place when they need it. And the consumer walks in and says, Wow. Somebody else is thinking here, this is is wonderful. It really has to do with with that anticipation of what's coming next. And you can't do that if you're thinking about selling a product. You have to go back to David's question, what is the business? What is the problem we solve? And when you do that, boy, you really open up the floodgates to all kinds of ideas.
0: So we're going to talk a little bit more on the small and medium sized business front, uh, because I think you're right. The larger ones have access to resources. They can actually afford to hire you, too, because you're, you're among the, uh, the most respected in terms of strategic advice in the country. So I want to just keep going back and saying, OK, so now I've heard from Ken's talked about bringing in maybe a creating a consortium. Dave's talking about what business or purpose I'm in. What role do your employees play in all of this?
2: Especially in small to medium sized business, Tony, they're critical. They are the business. They are the individuals. And it could be somebody on the front line, uh, you know, interfacing with the consumer, or it could be somebody in the back, you know, managing the warehouse and the inventory. The fact is, they're all part of that brand's business system. And um, not involving them, uh, I think, handicaps your ability to get that full perspective that Ken's talking about uh, to answer the question, what's the problem I'm here to solve or to provide for you or what business am I in? So they have to be involved.
0: So a lot of times, yeah. though, I mean, I was in Young Presidents Organization for years, and they—they they, one of the reasons entrepreneurs love to join it, they said it was lonely at the top. That, they, they, that entrepreneurs are reluctant to share their warts. They don't really want to open up their balance sheet, talk about their fears or anxiety. They want to put on this brave face. Well, today there's a lot of warts. What advice can you give these leaders in terms of the level of transparency that they bring uh, to these conversations so that they, uh, knowing that in doing so, they might in fact also be creating fear?
1: Uh, So I believe that they should be as transparent as possible, both with their peers and with their employees. You know, Tom Peters had a great line. He said, uh, if you think about who influences your satisfaction with a company you deal with, it's not the president or the vice president or the regional sales manager. It's the frontline employee. And yet, if you ask the question, to whom do we direct most of our efforts in-house, it's to the senior management team. It's not to the frontline employee. <laughs> and so, you know, I might add to my list of things, you want to do some internal marketing here as well. You want to carry out a campaign. Let your people know what to expect. Let them know how to deal with, with people who have been housebound for two or three weeks, who uh, perhaps are a little emotion starved. They haven't been dealing with, uh, with uh, uh, other people. Uh, you think about the seniors who we so often see in shopping malls and and Tim Hortons having breakfast and and uh, a, a little uh, coffee clutch, so to speak. Um, these people, when they come out, they're, they're going to be hungry for some emotional attention. And uh, we need to prepare our people for, for, for what that means in the context of how they deal with the public. That's a great
2: question you're asking. Um, and I think that we are in the midst of something that none of us have ever experienced before. As Ken said, we don't therefore know what's going to come out the back end. Um, hurts, as you call them, you know, by getting people involved, they might not show warts. Well, in this case, because it is so all-consuming, um, this isn't a wart. this is a tumor and involving everybody because everybody has been affected personally as well as professionally in finding out what those common things are. How have we changed? What, what do we think our customers is motivated by today? An unmet need that they have today that, or tomorrow that they don't have in the past. All of this is an opportunity to engage those important members of your team in the common denominator, the tumor, and don't worry about the small words.
0: So be honest, be honest, be open, let everybody know we've got a stake in it. Um, I want to f- finish this part of the podcast and, and hopefully invite you guys back to another one because I'm learning a lot from both of you. And just ask, is as. What should I be doing today over and above what you've talked about in terms of your norms and identifying your needs? What, is there any basic housekeeping that should be a priority during, this, during these times that I should be doing within my organization to set me up so that when we do come out of it, I have an opportunity at first mover advantage or just being ready, as Ken said, for people that are going to be looking for some kind of social interaction or engagement?
1: Well, the immediate one would be to get your sanitation protocols down because you know that in order to encourage people back into your stores, you're going to have to be telling them what you're doing or what you've done uh, in order to protect them. They're not going to shop if they're not feeling safe. Uh, And and so certainly that's something that has to be done and and done right away. Uh, Costco, for example, has people standing in squares. Uh, They're cleaning conveyor belts and uh, plexiglass barriers uh, before every customer. Uh, they won't even let you touch the touch uh, your products that you buy. Uh, somebody's packing it for you. Uh, you check out. You put it on a table. The bill, and they look at it. Uh, they are doing things that show that they're keep that they're taking it serious, and that people should feel safe when they're in there. And that would be my first priority coming out of the blocks is to establish that I am safe and trusted.
0: And how about you, dude?
1: Um, communicate, communicate,
2: communicate we're all in isolation (laughs) Um, with that. I think you potentially end up with a risk disengagement with your, with your organization. Um, So involving them and having, using technology, using whatever the means might, might be, but you can't communicate enough right now, whatever it might be, um, full transparency and communicate, communicate, communicate.
1: In fact, I would take that even a step further. Not just in a marketing context, in a business context, you should be talking to your landlord, for example, explaining to them that, you know, you may be a little bit late as far as rent payments go, but you'll make it up over time. This is the time to really prove to people that you are a good person and that your business is a good company to do business with. And one of the easiest ways to do that, as David said, is you got to communicate, you got to talk to people.
0: This is Tony Chapman. You've been listening to Chatter That Matters. It's a legendary series, and we have two marketing hall of legends, David Kincaid and Ken Wong. And here's the three things that I learned today. First of all, that Dave came out, and you came out bold with this at the beginning, and you wove it through your entire script. Know who you are, why you matter. Where do you add value? You're not in the business of selling groceries. You're in the business of improving lives. So if you're a small business or medium-sized business, really look at that desired outgame. The outcome. Look at how people want to talk about you. As Ken said, rave about you. How, why, why are they going to think you're clever? Ken, he talked about the whole concept of understanding your lane that you're in. You're not going to be able to compete on price. It's a big tiebreaker, but it's probably a card. Multinationals are going to play easier than you. So really focus on the value added, the things that you can stand for, the reasons why people, in case of your retail, want to walk in your store. And the third thing that came out from both of them, and probably the most important lesson, is a sense of communication, transparency, open. Listen, we're all in this together. As Dave Kincaid said, this isn't a wart, this is a tumor. Every, everybody's gonna be on deck. This is triage, and the more you stand up and communicate, the more you show your intention, your honesty, what you're doing, your scenario planning, that's gonna stand tall for you when you're dealing with both your customers, your employees, and your suppliers. Tony Chapman, Chatter That Matters. Thank you very much, gentlemen. you come back for another podcast? Definitely. Perfect. Thank you.
2: You've been listening to Chatter That Matters. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with Tony on Twitter at Tony Chapman, through LinkedIn at Tony Chapman Reactions, or visit his website, TonyChapmanReactions.com. Chatter That Matters is produced by Tony Chapman Reactions and Eye Contact Productions. I'm Dave Trafford.